1: Thank you for listening to this podcast, One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel, your host, and so happy to be with you for this episode. This week had the NBA draft lottery and lots of big developments with that. The ended up final result was the Celtics keeping actually turning the best lottery odds into the number one pick. Then the Lakers jumped from number three to number two. And then the Philadelphia Sixers got the third pick via the swap with the Sacramento Kings, another Sam Hinky special. And to talk about it with me is Sam Vecini, longtime friend of the show, talented writer and draft expert. We go through not only the lottery and everything that happened there, but we go in a vastly wide ranging conversation on a lot of different stuff. Really did enjoy it. It's a little bit less than two hours, so it is a behemoth, but fun conversation. I originally was going to have timestamps, but it's a little bit more lightly edited just because my schedule got filled with everything else that I'm doing. And some of the language is a little bit salty. I know most of you won't care, but I'm giving that warning for those people who do that. There are moments of this that get, you know, some cuss words, but nothing too you know, doesn't last too long. It's not filled with them. They're in there at certain places. And this episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is an amazing way to find new employees. It's fun to all do this from the from the employer side. I think that's an interesting wrinkle with ZipRecruiter. And it's a great way to find people. ZipRecruiter.com slash sports fan, and you can check it out for free. And now to the conversation with Sam, about two hours long. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: How are you doing today, Danny? It's only 11 o'clock here out on the West Coast, and it's already just been a long day, I would say, in the media world.
1: It certainly has been. And I mean, yesterday was was wild for a lot of different reasons. And that's a big part of why we're discussing this. This is not going to be a detailed breakdown of game two of Warriors Spurs. But yesterday's more interesting development was the NBA draft lottery. And it seems strange considering there wasn't that much movement that I just found it so intriguing, but that's the, the, really the way it worked out in terms of my view of the whole thing.
0: Huh. Yeah, it was really interesting because there was like randomly a lot of movement, right? So like Philadelphia ends up getting the pick from the Sacramento pick. The picks have swapped. I know that Mike Levin and Spike Eskin will be happy about that, but it, it was just like a weird weird lottery, right? Because you get this Sacramento pick. They move up for like the first time in what, like 30 years and ends up being Phil going to Philadelphia, but Sacramento still gets number five instead of number eight, which I think is what they were slotted at. Um Boston keeps the pick. The Lakers keep their pick, which, you know, the Lakers keeping this pick is, is it maybe the most important thing that has happened in their franchise? Like in the last five or six years, probably right? Like last night,
1: I would say so, because like not only since the title not, teams, I mean, if if you want to combine all of it into one thing, then I would say yes, because not only did they get the pick that should allow them to get the player that it sounds like they want, though, of course, that can change over the next month, sure. but they also retain their 2019 first round pick, which yeah. would have been unprotected. And while there's a very real chance that the Lakers will be relevant at that point to some degree, I mean, how much will vary, but that there's always a possibility that it's going to take a little bit while a little bit longer to get going. We've seen it happen before. We'll see it happen again. And in that case, the Magic would have had this amazing asset. And we'll talk a little bit more about Orlando later, but that combination of factors is an absolutely huge win for Los Angeles. And I wrote about this for SI because I did my offseason preview of them last night, actually from Oracle for the most part. And what I talked about was that this gives them, the new revamped front office, a mandatory opportunity to reevaluate their entire current roster. Yep.
0: Yeah. No, I agree with that 100%. Um, Another like kind of ancillary benefit here is that, we now have certainty in terms of what picks they owe when, which creates a bit of certainty if they're going to have trade discussions, right? Like, I feel like they were a little bit hamstrung over the course of the last few years because they were trying to figure out how they were going to be able to operate uh, in terms of improving their roster. Now they have certainty. They know what they're going to have in the future, what they're going to be obligated to send out in 2018. And I think that that's a big factor. So uh, you're also right, though. This is going to be a full-scale kind of evaluation of where this organization is, where it's going, and how they think that they can get back into prominence. Do they like Brandon Ingram? Do they think Julius Randle is a piece of the future? Do they think that D'Angelo Russell is a good fit next to one of these point guards or one of, you know, if they really want to explore Jason Tatum for whatever reason, then uh, it's just an incredibly important uh, valuation of Just where the organization is going forward.
1: They're also in an unusual spot, sort of paralleling where Utah was a couple of years ago with way less talent in that they actually have a shorter time frame to make a decision on a lot of these things than some may think, because they drafted, you know, Randall is extension eligible this summer. Russell is extension eligible next summer. That, you know, you can wait until restricted free agency, even with the new higher cap holds for rookie scale guys. You can wait. But the problems with waiting are, one, there's always a risk involved in that kind of in a couple different ways. One, that you might lose them for nothing, and two, that they're just not that good. And also, the idea that their value, if you decide that, whether it's now or later, that they're not a part of the next great Lakers team, moving on that sooner rather than later is almost always a good idea. Yep, because you get more value. Right, because somebody else right now, they they could be looking at what we've seen from D'Angelo Russell for two years and go, oh, look, the Lakers are, there's, they've been such a train wreck, you know, there's been all this other stuff going on, we can fix this. Yep. But especially if they interpret it, and I'm not saying that they have to, if they interpret what they're going to do in the draft as being somebody who kind of goes over D'Angelo Russell, then you get into a Julia Okafor circumstance where the downside risk is substantially higher than the upside risk in terms of the asset. And if you're putting this other guy over Russell, then you're making your own determination.
0: Man, that 2015 draft, like, it didn't get like super sad in a hurry, but it's, we got really excited after their rookie years, I think. And it's not seeming to be quite as strong at the top, maybe, as we thought it would be. Do we think that's fair?
1: Assuming we're we're counting the top and we're not counting the top as just towns, who I think has been better than well, I expected. Towns Other has been than way better
0: than we expected, and I think Porzingis has been better than we expected. But is there anyone else that like you're you know not just excited about because I think there are plenty of players to be you know relatively excited about. But like you know everyone was super in on Stanley Johnson, and that's not really great. Justice Winslow is coming off an injury. Willie Cauley Stein has been a problem. Mario ozonia has been a problem. Um, we haven't really seen Trey Lyles. I mean, Devin Booker and Miles Turner have worked out well. I'm still questionable. I think a little bit more than other people are on them. But, like, we thought the draft was going to be awesome. And it feels average now to me, I guess, right?
1: The other part of it that's unusual about NBA 2015 I'm sorry. is how many of these guys I don't feel comfortable with the idea necessarily of them being a starter. And you can earn that right over your third and fourth years by all means. Yep. But even, even though most of these guys aren't the massive disappointments relative that Hazonia has been, you're still sitting there with Willie Collie Stein, with Moutier, with Frank Kaminsky saying, well, what is this guy? You know, like, are they, are they a low end starter? Are they more of like a rotation player? And there's still great values on their current contracts, but that starts to matter really soon because as I said with Russell, these guys are going to be extension eligible and Another good manifestation of this, or representation, is Trey Lyles. Trey Lyles is in a spot where if he was performing well, the Jazz could really use him in basically whatever role, and he got completely marginalized by veterans, by talented veterans, but that's concerning.
0: Yeah, you're definitely right about the fact, like, are these guys starters or not? Like, we just don't have an evaluation yet properly on Justice Winslow, for instance, right? Because this was supposed to be the year that he takes the leap. And that didn't really happen. Like Cameron Payne, I think we can feel pretty confident is probably not a starter. But Frank Kaminsky, obviously. You've got Trey Lyles, who hasn't really even got like a crazy chance to play yet. It's, it's a really weird draft class, really super weird. Um, but I think that we can kind of tie this into getting back to the last discussion, right? So in the 2014 and 2015 drafts, The Philadelphia 76ers kind of held the key to the draft at number three, right? Because in 2014, you know, we knew that it was going to be Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker. And then how the 76ers went was going to tell the tale of the draft. In 2015, we thought it was going to be Towns. And to be honest, even up to draft night, we kind of thought it was going to be Jaleel Okafor. And then we kind of thought the 76ers would take Russell after that, but we weren't certain either. So we kind of thought that how they operated on draft night was going to tell the tale of the draft again. So again, now here we are two years later, they're at number three again, and they're again going to kind of tell the tale of this NBA draft. So you look at number one and number two, I think number one is going to be Markel Fultz. And I think number two, you know, I think Lonzo Ball is the heavy favorite to go number two. Uh, I don't think it's certain by any means, but I think that he is pretty likely to be the number two overall pick. That puts the 76ers in a position again where, you know, this organization is going to be able to. Kind of dictate how the rest of the top 10 goes because for me and for a lot of other people, this is something like at the, you know, top level in terms of like the top three tiers of players. This is a 10 to 11 person draft and the way that those 10 to 11 players shake out is going to be incredibly dependent on what the 76ers do at number three.
1: That's a great point. And. Are you thinking there's a possibility that they're going to trade this pick? Because that's something I've been considering just on the idea that if somebody else loves one player of this group above all others, they know that they're not getting into the top two. Like, basically, unless they're, those picks are traded for an established player, I don't see a team moving into the top two. So that means a team has to negotiate with the Sixers if they want somebody in particular.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. And to be honest, I think that, That puts the 76ers in, they're in a, I don't want to say a bad spot because they're going to get a really good player, but they're not in a perfect spot either because it it does feel like their best fit to me outside of that top two is probably Malik Monk, but I think he'd be a, a risky pick at number three. I don't want to say he would be a reach at number three because I think there's a world where he's just... Incredible next to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and averages like 23 points a night. But I think that there's a lot more downside at number three with Malik Monk than what a typical number three pick would have. So that does put them in an interesting position because you would think that Phoenix is not going to take Monk at four. You would think Sacramento is not going to take Monk at five. So you can kind of move down maybe to number six at least with Orlando or one of those two other picks if they really want someone um, and still get the guy that fits your roster best. So the trade down idea is really interesting to
1: me. And so much of this draft, this is often true, but I think those players from three to 10, 11, wherever we're going to say it are so even that beauty in the eye of the beholder makes for a really fun draft night because certain teams are going to see the board specific ways. And considering we're in a spot now in the league where the the teams aren't going to be hoarding like cap space or anything like that. I think they're going to be a little bit more pragmatic about where they are that it might open up moves. It might not. It just kind of depends on how the board shakes out, but I'm excited for it because there's so much more volatility and because a lot of these players you know, there are a series of different point guards. There are a series of different kind of combo forwards. They're not the same guys. This is not a circumstance where it's like, oh, well, we'll take, you know, we'll take Jason Tatum. And if he's not there, then we'll take, you know, Jonathan Isaac. They're very different guys. There are teams that could approach it that way. Minnesota is potential one of those, but they're very different sales. And these point guards are all incredibly different. And so, I could see a team falling in love with one of them and saying, we want to make sure this guy comes to us. And the part that I think is so fun about this is Minnesota in particular, and I'm not saying they're going to do this. I don't expect that they will. But a few of these teams in the kind of 7 to 10 range have a fair amount of assets. You know, Sacramento has all these kind of overlapping big men that maybe somebody's going to like the Knicks. They don't have a ton in terms of assets, but like you know, they're they have players like Kylo Quinn that's intriguing, and they could do a couple different things. And Minnesota, actually, the one I've been kind of running around in my brain since the lottery happened is, what if they dangled Zach Levine if there was one of these guys that they really liked? And while Levine's going to be out for a while, that is such an amazing lottery ticket for the Sixers. So yeah, that, that's a really
0: interesting one to me because. If they fall in love with Josh Jackson, for instance, Minnesota, that's interesting because I am intrigued by how he would fit with like Andrew Wiggins on the wing. How do you think that would work, I guess? like It would be really intriguing if I could, was convinced that Tibbs would play small consistently, but do you think that'll happen?
1: It's possible. My bigger concern is also that they have just so many guys on this team they can't shoot. Yeah, exactly.
0: And- like that too. Like Chris Dunn is your point guard of the future, or Ricky Rubio, if you just have lost faith in Chris Dunn for whatever reason, um, is your point guard of the future. So, like, what do you do with Josh Jackson?
1: <laughs> right, and it's a it's a big challenge for them because even if you see him as the best fit, you know, like maybe he's their Luol Deng is is mm-hmm. kind of a way to put it. Yeah. Then you need the other guys. And this is also a very different NBA than the teams that with Tibbs, with Derrick Rose and and Noah that, that did so well. You need so much more spacing now because teams, especially if you want to be a title contender at some point, if you have a player on either end of the floor that teams feel comfortable, you know, kind of handling differently, they will do it. We're seeing that pretty, pretty amazingly in these playoffs. And so I don't, I feel better about Josh Jackson being above that level, you know, kind of like the Tony Allen offensive player. And I mean, Tony Allen's first team, all defense, he's a legitimately awesome guy, but those issues are coming to bear so much more often now than they did before.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think Josh is a better offensive player than Tony Allen. um, Just in terms of the way that he reads the floor. And I think his jump shots a little bit better. Um, But having said that you're right in that Minnesota needs a guy you know, theoretically, at least in terms of the way their roster looks on paper, right? Like we don't know what Tibbs thinks they need, but they need a guy who can shoot the basketball. And if you trust, for me, their best fit is Jonathan Isaac, right? Like if I was them, I would just be happy that Jonathan Isaac would fall to number seven because it looks like the board, and you did just mention, you know, like all of these guys are so different and all these teams could fall in love with different players, but I think you can feel with reasonable confidence right now that one of Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, or Jonathan Isaac will fall to Minnesota at seven. And all of those guys present their own sorts of issues, but they all present strong. This is bad English. They all present very High end strengths, we'll say I was going to say strong strengths, but um, they all present very high end strengths that would fit well in Minnesota. So Jason Tatum would be the kind of creator uh, off the wing who can shoot the basketball a little bit that I think would fit pretty well with Andrew Wiggins and would give them a dynamic offensive team as well as a long switchable defensive team. Um, You know, Josh Jackson, obviously he would give them the mentality that I think Tibbs wants, because it doesn't seem to me that Carl Towns or Andrew Wiggins really have that like crazy competitive drive. Right. Like I'm not saying they're not competitors. I'm saying that, you know, Josh Jackson is a top one percent competitor, and I think that could be beneficial to them. And then Jonathan Isaac. In terms of fit on the floor, he's probably the best out of all of them, right? Because I think he might have more defensive upside than anyone in this draft. He really gets after it on that end. And plus, he can shoot the ball a little bit from deep. He'd fit really nicely as a 6'11 guy next to Carl Towns and Andrew Wiggins. So... All of those guys work for me there, and if I was them, I would probably be pretty cool standing pat as the draft currently sits, but you don't know who's gonna move up and down, as you say. So do you have to kind of play some game theory to, you know, quote the name of my podcast? But like you kinda of have to theorize this out, right? So is a team gonna move up? Is the team gonna move down? Uh you know, are they gonna come up and try and you know, take one of these forwards and reshuffle the draft board in a way. It's kind of a tricky process for Minnesota. Ultimately, the way the board stands now, I would feel okay standing pat. But as draft night comes, you have to prepare yourself for a lot of scenarios, right? And I would make sure if I was them to be prepared to where I can get one of those, like, wing forwards that really fit my roster well.
1: I hadn't really considered this too much until we started talking, but... I don't expect them to use their assets in this way, but if Denver really liked someone like Isaac, he would be a fascinating fit next to who they already have.
0: Oh, I I love that fit. Um, I talked about this last night on my show with Chris Stone. I think that he is probably – like him to the Timberwolves is such an interesting fit just because he is – an awesome defender at six foot 11 who can switch everything. He can defend a lot of different positions, um, a good weak side rim protector. I think that Carl Towns, um, you know, he's been okay so far protecting the rim. I think he's going to get stronger as a primary rim protector. Um, having said that, Isaac would fit as a weak side rim protector as he continues to develop that side of his game offensively. I think Isaac's going to be able to hit corner threes uh, pretty early in his career. The key is going to be, can he stretch it out to around to above the break? Can he become a more consistent, um, you know, a more consistent guy attacking off the dribble, just a more consistent, uh, confident offensive basketball player in a way, because, you know, if you look at, what he did this year at Florida state. I know he was surrounded by Xavier Rattan Mays. I know he had Dwayne Bacon on that roster. Neither of those two guys wanted to pass. They pounded the ball on the perimeter, but he really didn't assert himself offensively when he was clearly the most talented player on that roster. So he'd be a great fit there. I worry about Tibbs and his confidence levels under a guy that would be harder on him and would you know, really get after him a little bit. But I think that on the floor, that's an awesome fit.
1: Something else that I think makes this draft more compelling is the idea that Orlando could actually change paths because now that they're going to have a new general manager, you know, new front office, that changes, you know, their willingness to draft a point guard. Because I think if Hennigan was still there, they would have kept Alfred Payton as kind of the lead guy. They already paid a bunch of money to DJ Augustine. So you have to go in that direction. But the idea of Isaac to the Wolves, or just kind of some of those other dynamics, kind of rely on Orlando taking a guard. But of course, that doesn't have to be a point. It could be Malik Monk.
0: Right. So if if I'm Orlando, I'm taking a guard. Like, I've never been a believer in Alfred Payton. Like I had Payton in the low twenties on my board whenever he was drafted. Um, I thought they reached for him whenever they traded the Dario Sharich pick plus their, what was it? I guess it was number 12 plus another pick in the future that Philadelphia was Philly's own pick. They
1: they gave Philly, Philly, their own pick back.
0: Yeah. So I I thought they overpaid for him and I thought that uh, they overdrafted him and I still have not seen much of a reason to believe in him, right? Like, what is he improved upon as an NBA player, I guess, is my question. Like, he's a better free throw shooter, I guess. He's finishing better at the rim, but the flaws in his game are still so readily apparent that it's difficult for me to see how he gets past them. Like, with a guy like Emmanuel Moutier, I'm a little bit more confident that he can get past those flaws, just given what we've seen from him. On lower level circuits, right? Like he, he's a guy that showed off better mid range skill. Uh, he's a guy that has just better instincts. I think in the pick and roll, uh, you know, maybe he's not the athlete that Peyton is in terms of quickness, but. I, I just have like a little bit more faith that he's going to figure it out as a scorer because I think that I have a little bit more faith in his distribution ability. With Peyton, I'm not quite there yet, I guess. Like, What, what do you think of Peyton? Because that's ultimately going to be the deciding factor in terms of where Orlando goes.
1: I think it's a hard path for him to become a, a true starter. It's possible, but unlikely. And also remember, Alfred Payton is twenty three. He is almost exactly two years older than both Moutier and D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. And so those guys, you know, those guys are young still. Like, the, and point guards can take a lot of time. But Payton, the jump shot is a big problem. You know, he does so, show some spark defensively, and every once in a yeah. while you see him do something off the dribble. Like he's 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 not terrible he's not
0: useless by any no, like,
1: he has value but and that's also part of the reason why paying D- dj augustine the money they did was so devastating is because they already have a cost controlled rotation point guard if they need it you know like if they got somebody above him whether that is a rookie or just using their money unfortunately they already have so much tied up in augustine that they can't uh, that's basically untradeable at this point that they can't do it. So I think that's that's a concern for them, but of course if you get it cost controlled on a rookie deal, you can you can make it work. But I also think that nobody in their front court rotation has been so good that you decline a forward if you think they're the better player.
0: Yeah, I think I would agree with that too. I mean, it depends on what you think of Aaron Gordon, I guess, right? Like do you believe in Aaron Gordon in, in terms of like the four position and where do, where do you fall on, like, Terrence Ross and Yvonne Fournier playing together, I guess? And, you know, they also have a lot of money tied up in center as well because of Nikola Vucevic and Bismack Biombo. This was such a poorly constructed roster. Like, can we can we just kind of talk about that? Like, Rob, I had so much faith in Rob Hennigan just, like, from every sort of, you know, anecdote that you hear talking to people around the league that, like, This guy is super, super sharp and he has a great eye for talent and all of that jazz. But I don't know if it was owner interference or, you know, he felt like he was kind of trying to save his job or if he just genuinely like kind of screwed up building the roster. But they totally misjudged the marketplace kind of in terms of big men and they totally misjudged the marketplace in terms of how important spacing was going to be like on offense.
1: They also have a really challenging roster construction to fix because it's the death by a thousand cuts cap structure. This is the same issue that the Phoenix Suns have. So when you, when you have a lot of money and it's in a lot of different players, like, you know, nobody on the Suns makes more than 17 million. Or sorry, nobody on the Suns does or nobody on the Magic. Actually, they both have the similar structure in that way. Yeah. But what that means is, yeah, you can clear space if you have to. Like, I don't think they have any truly horrendous contracts but they have just so much on the, bo- oh, except for Augustine, but he's, he's lesser money. And the problem is that it gets harder sometimes to actually make those moves because if it's one piece, then you can go, okay, you know, we'll offer X blah, 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 in exchange for you, you getting that. Like we could see that probably not this summer, but next summer with the Lakers guys, with Evan Turner. But with, the, with Orlando, you're just kind of sitting there like, okay, like not only is that that, but you have limited flexibility and your team just isn't that good. Like, I think that getting guys above, you know, like, if, if you can slide everybody down the totem pole, they'll look a lot better. You see that fairly frequently with teams. But the problem is, they don't have the money to slide everyone down the totem pole.
0: Do you think that Nikola Vucevic would get a first-round pick? No. You don't? Just straight up don't believe that? No, I—so, I, I, I think— Like, say, say that, um— Oh, man. It gets tricky to try and find one,
1: I guess. Yeah, that's why like, and so I, wrote, I wrote a piece for the Sporting News about how basically it's going to be hard to trade centers because not only do you have a really right. high supply, but you also have a really low demand. Yep. Because- This is something
0: I've been talking about, too, in terms of like the NBA draft. So yeah, no, 100% agree on this. Yeah.
1: And so, so with Vooch, yeah, his contract is reasonable and he's not a bad player, but- there aren't as many teams with cap space as there were before, and there are not many. Like Basically, to me, if you're going to trade for somebody like him, it is on the belief that he can be your starter, and that is a harder sales pitch than it was before, and this is the exact same problem Oklahoma City is going to get into if they try to trade in this canter.
0: You know who kind of effed this up a little bit, I think? Washington probably could have traded a first-round pick for Vucevic, this year when they traded for Boyan instead.
1: Well yeah, but the it, problem is they already have Jan, Mahimi, and Gortat. And yeah, yeah, that you would be that would be yeah. a strange use of resources. And it would have been fascinating to see if Orlando theoretically would have been willing to take on some bad money in exchange. Because like in some ways that's actually one of the bigger parts of the that Brooklyn Washington trade was that they were willing to take on Andrew Nicholson's contract. Yep. Orlando is not all the way there, but they're close enough to having messed up books for the next two years where I would consider those types of deals instead of trying to make a splash in free agency.
0: I think I agree with you. Like, I don't know that I would have taken on Mahinmi's deal, but if you would have, and honestly, I'm not even sure they could have taken on Nicholson,
1: could they have? What do you
0: mean? Because didn't he, well, he came from Orlando, right? So like... But Would I believe that be able- was an
1: I believe that was an outright signing. And if you if sign a guy yeah. from another team, that's fine. It's not it's not a circumstance like what happened, why the the Nets can't reacquire or, or,
0: Yunus, or, M- yeah. Yeah.
1: or basically any of the million guys they got they tried to sign with offer sheets.
0: Yeah, really. But um, but no, like if you to me, like I consider Jan Mahinmi a sunk cost at this stage, right? Like I just do. oh, I don't,
1: I don't at all. Really, I think he can. I think he can play. I I think that. His injuries were not the type of thing that I think are going to really linger. I mean, you worry about him being injury prone, but you don't worry about recurrence in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that when he's healthy, he can play. He's not probably a a starting caliber center at this point. You know, maybe in in a pinch, I like him defensively. I think he can fit in well. I think we saw that with Indiana, just how much they missed him. And they also need him to a point, or they need someone as protection in case Gortat ages poorly. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to find that guy. And I don't think the other part with Washington, and we're going to have this conversation with a series of different teams, and you love love cap structures like I do, where getting out of salary is is more of a luxury than anything else, because it doesn't afford them, just like it won't afford the Blazers if they were going to try to trade Myers Leonard or whoever, it doesn't afford them any more team building flexibility, other than if they can do it and get a trade exception, which then poses the same problems. So, you can do that. Teams have done teams have gone that route for a long time. It's I I'm sure some people will be frustrated if their teams choose to do it, especially considering like the Blazers, you know, ownership signed off on those moves just a year ago. But that's a very different thing from trading picks or or what or using that sort of thing to unload somebody to sign someone better. Like mm-hmm. the Warriors did with Iguodala, like boston might end up doing if they you know if they really go after it this year they could also just clear the space themselves but those sorts of opportunities are a different sales pitch than, hey this guy is not worth the money he is and this will save you 15 million dollars a year
0: yeah no it's a 100 percent a different sales pitch i agree with you um you have a lot more faith in me than i do i'll say that uh I-, I have concerns about the way that injuries just like the breadth of injuries that continue to pile up will affect his athleticism going into his later years. Um, And given that his defensive value is so much of what he does, I'm a little bit worried. Um, Going forward on Orlando, though, I I don't know what to do if I was them, just generally. I, I would just probably take the best player available that's not in the front court, I think. And maybe you can say that that's Jason Tatum. If you think you can play him at three, maybe you can say that that is... Malik Monk or it's a point guard, but they're in a really tricky spot too. I agree with you because their roster has just been bungled so badly at this stage.
1: So I talked about the idea that for Orlando, I don't think there's anybody on their roster that, you know, that, that you basically, that you work around the idea that they have a lot of good players and I think you can make a lot of things fit. And that's also kind of what you want for a draft pick. You want it to be where they don't have, especially if it's in a non-elite guy where they don't have a lot of pressure, but they have opportunity. And I think yep. that's what Orlando can bring. I feel like the Suns are the same type of thing. I mean, Devin Booker is maybe the ex- the exception here. I think that, but I mean, if you where are we it, to, out on Devin
0: Booker? I want to hear. I want to hear where you're at. I so, think it's tough.
1: Booker is a talent as a scorer. I think that he can be a part of a successful offense, but I don't think he can be the best offensive player on a successful offense. You know that that he that sort of. Dynamism requires having the ball in your hands now. I don't I don't think you can really, really do that. And even, you know, I mean, Kevin Durant has the ball in his hands a lot. And I don't think Booker's, you know, near that level, obviously. And then the defensive part of it isn't as important considering he's a two, but does still matter. I mean, if a guy is a sieve, you have to work around that. And I mean, yeah. we, we're seeing that in the playoffs as well. And so I think Booker can be a part of a successful team. The other worry I have is the timeline for them because even though Booker is still young and he's still cost controlled for another couple of years, the Suns are a long way away and they should actually make themselves further away because there's no reason to have Eric Bledsoe on this team. Yeah. And yeah I so, agree with that. so what they so basically what I'm I'm looking a little bit into the future with them and saying, okay, what's gonna happen when he's extension eligible and they have to sit there and go, well, crap, like, what are we going to do here? You know, a year, a year, year and a half from now. And they go, well, okay, what is he? What are we going to do? I am anticipating with a lot of these guys, even though they've changed the incentives a little bit with the, the raised cap holds, which I talked about before, they just changed the calculation and made it so that guys just cost more, which is, I think a good decision after the way that guys like Drummond and, and Kawhi, game the system and I I've giving them credit for it to to help their teams get better. Yep. So Be able did the same thing. Yep. The benefit of that waiting time for an uninspiring draft class is that you can gain more certainty. So I think that basically every single team that has a a player other than towns, and I think there's an interesting discussion to have there. Like in in especially that 2015 draft, but also 2014 to negotiate from a position of strength, to basically say, if you want to leave a lot of money on the table, we'll extend you. You know, We'll give you a deal that we feel comfortable with, but you have not played well enough to exert leverage on us to get that money now. Mm-hmm. And I think if, that's going to be harder to do with Devin Booker, though. Maybe. And they also could be dealing with a, a new front office at that point. And I think then they would have yeah. a little bit more comfort doing it just because you know that's kind of their job. But I think... And I'm, I'm not, it's so funny to say this considering how badly teams spent last summer, but <laughs> I feel like the, the cap realities now that, that things are not going to be jumping up for a while, that it has to start drilling in for some of these front offices to say, what are we gaining from making this commitment right now? Because when you have match rights, you're not worried about them leaving. You're more worried about them being unhappy or them playing are playing better and raising their value. One of those is a, a good problem to have, which is, you know, them playing better. The other one is a huge benefit that you don't have to worry about them leaving. Yep. So yes, it's awkward. Yeah, it's it's imperfect. And that doesn't mean a deal will fail that you'll fail to get deals done. It just means that you negotiate on a harder line and don't sign those ones like Gorgie Jang is probably the poster child for me of this. Like That was a weird one. It's not a horrendous contract. But think about where the Timberwolves would be in terms of flexibility, in terms of everything else, if they hadn't signed that contract, maybe they would end up signing him to something similar to that. Maybe they, they would they would end up you know in a similar place if they don't and draft somebody in that spot. Who is offering but him that money this off season? Probably no one. Like it, what?
0: It's fourteen a year on average, right? I think he got yeah, four fifty six, so. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, that sounds right. And so you have this big issue with him, and also they gave him certainty when he hadn't earned it. You know even if you think oh well he's he's going to be our big man next to Carl Anthony Towns,
0: by the way, I think he's good, like I think I'm a little yeah.
1: bit higher on him than you are. I agree but, with you with what you're about to say, though, but there was not a reasonable argument when this when the extension happened that they knew that to be true, yep, and you can't make those decisions because when you when your team has flexibility because they're really going to lose out on that they could have they could have had more money, they could have gone in in more directions. And especially assuming the, the Pekovic injury exclusion goes through, they're going to be they could be a serious player in free agency if somebody wants to take their money. So not only then do you have the idea of of giving them money that that they're not necessarily worth, but you're also changing the nature of of an asset because the you, know, you could say that if they waited, the worst case scenario with Zhang was losing him for nothing. Mm-hmm. Creating a net negative asset when you have cap space is actually worse than that because that's money you can't use on other things. And if it's a net negative, that means you're probably not going to find somebody who will want them. So then you're either tying an asset or you're reducing your flexibility. So I don't know if teams will learn from that. Actually, one one of the franchises that we'll be dealing with that this summer to tie it back a little bit is Orlando, because Orlando has extension negotiations with Aaron Gordon and Alfred Payton this summer. Both of those guys, despite having, you know, the cap holds, Alfred Payton's, I have it at about ten million, Aaron Gordon's is going to be about sixteen. That will be complicated. And they need they have to be responsible about it because neither of those guys I, I don't think you could sit there and just point to say this is what they're going to be on the next good magic team.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think to that point that's a really good point with Minnesota and kind of tying it back to Gorgie Jang, right? Because they have Shabazz Muhammad here who has a cap hold this summer. You know, like Gorgie Jang could have had that cap hold this summer that would have been considerably lower than what they have him at at 14 million next year on the books. I just like this is a team that could have had what, like 30 million in cap space, something like that. If they don't sign Gorgie Jang and you just decide, you know what, Shabazz Muhammad, uh, if we sign someone, we can get rid of his cap hold and just really and, uh, rescind his rights, right? Rescind the qualifying offer and just kind of move on from him. Um, it's They're in such a weird spot now that they almost have to nail this draft pick. I think that because they allocated the resources they did on Gorgie Jang I should say that they have to nail this offseason now because if you don't nail this offseason and don't nail this draft pick, you're going to be pretty limited in terms of what you can do going forward. Because I would imagine that they're probably going to have to renegotiate with Andrew Wiggins here. Like, they're probably going to assign him to an extension, right? Like, that's just what's going to happen. Even though we just went through that whole thing, that's what's going to happen, right? Like it's just going, they're going to assign him to an extension, I think, right?
1: Well, the difference with Wiggins, if they're going to spend their money this summer, is that they're not sacrificing future flexibility. You know, you might be committing in an imperfect way. And Wiggins has some of that kind of auto porterness where you don't... You expect that even if he disappoints, he's still going to get a mammoth offer from somebody. So... Well, he's he's
0: auto-porter with ceiling,
1: though, too. Right. Right, exactly. So if auto-porter can get a max offer, which I expect that he will then Andrew Wiggins is set, you know, that, that, that's a part of this. And so
0: you think Otto Porter is going to get four, what is it like 102 or whatever?
1: I'm not certain of it, but I think it's going to happen. There are just no wings, you know, yeah. like, and not only that, but think about how some of the team, some of the t- wings that are on the market are probably going to end up on teams that already have plenty. So you're going to see the, ha- the have-nots stay have-nots. So Gordon Hayward is an amazing example of this. Gordon Hayward is on the Jazz. The Jazz are one of the few teams in the league that have a lot of perimeter players that are good. Mm-hmm. The other rumored destination for Gordon Hayward is the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics are one of the other few teams that have a lot of wings. Yeah, well, so, it's
0: because front o- smart front offices stay be- stay being smart front offices, right? right. Like
1: Well, and Kevin, Kevin Durant's another doing. example. It's like Kevin Durant's presumably going to stay with the Warriors. So you know that if you look at really who is on the market, especially considering most of the restricted guys are going to stay put, at least the ones that are worth it. It's you know you don't have that many other options. And while I thought Alan Crabb, his offer was a little was a little bit too rich for me. I w- I, I've said this before. I would not have matched it if I were Portland. But it was a close call. I openly admit that. Otto Porter is a better player right now than Alan Crabb was then. And Otto Porter is
0: also a better value on $25 million than Alan Crabb is at 18.
1: Right. So if you're Brooklyn, or some of these other teams, especially if you're not planning on spending your money this summer, to just kind of say, well, why the heck not? The worst case scenario is they match and you make an agent really happy. Not a yeah. bad thing.
0: And you hamstring a team potentially into the future.
1: Yes. And in the case of the Brooklyn, Washington thing, you hamstring a team in your conference. Yep. So, and they get luxury tax bill. And, and Brooklyn already benefited from a hamstrung Washington team. Like, they oh. already got, they got a first round pick out of this. So...
0: Brooklyn should be maxing every restricted free agent, basically. That, like, is reasonably close to being worth a max, right? Like,
1: yeah, so, so tr- they can be, they can be this idea. I talked about this for the Sixers a few years ago, be the team that, that just sets the market on all these guys. And the Sixers actually did this in the, one of the most shocking ways possible with Manu Ginobili last year, where they basically just made him a rich offer and forced the Spurs to pay more money. That was a little bit of a different thing. I feel yeah. like that was kind of Brian Colangelo being Brian Colangelo, but the Sixers kind of had that opening to just basically say, hey, you know, X player, if you're looking for a team to, to give you money to give leverage on the other one, we'll do it because while there are bad contracts now, the NBA's misguided structure of graduating the maximums from 25 to 30 to 35 based on experience, not on like how good players actually are, yeah. makes it a lot harder to give bad contracts to young guys who are actually good. You can give you can give bad contracts to young guys who aren't good, Miles Plumley, but- you, it, it's harder with players who are at a position of value and who can actually contribute. And I am not a big Otto Porter fan. I, I don't like the idea of players who can, who who can't be lead defenders, lead scorers, or lead ball handlers. Like I just don't think those players have that much value on title contending teams. Mm-hmm. But not every team is a title contending team, and yep. so so here is the list of who
0: who's the here is the full list of who the Nets should max. Right? They should max Otto Porter they should max Caldwell Pope they should max they should not max Kelly Olinick but they should throw him like 18 million a year right that's too much for me i, I don't, don't think i don't think
1: o- i don't think olinick can start
0: i don't think he's worth that but i don't think that if you give him 18 million a year with a team option on the third year that it's going to hamstring you in the future when you're trying to contend either and it just fucks with, Bo- I'm sorry, whoops, I can't swear on this podcast, but it just messes with Boston.
1: I, I don't feel as comfortable in that. I, f- for me, basically, what I what I would be doing if I were Brooklyn is sitting there going, okay, in 2019, what of these contracts will we be able to live with at that point? So I guess if you're saying it's a two plus one, that gets a little bit more tolerable, but I don't think you do that. I don't think Olenek has the upside to justify it. The other guy that's on this list that you haven't mentioned is Nerlens Noel.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm not New sure... New Orleans is tricky for a lot of reasons,
1: <laughs> but well, what about Tony Snell that, too? He's on this list too. I don't think I necessarily max him, but I I could, you could give him yeah. money. You make the jazz pay for Joe Ingalls. I think Snell's worth like
0: 12 million a year or something. Probably. I mean, again, like throw him the Allen Crab contract.
1: I mean, you do worry a little bit. If you're Brooklyn, if you do it for a full four years, you worry about that hamstringing your team eventually, because they're not going to be good for the next couple of seasons anyway. But that might be a little rich for stuff, but that's not bad. And then, and then, basically, yeah, it's just driving up the price a little bit on these guys. They can drive up the price on Jonathan Simmons if they want. Andre a, Roberson. Yeah, so there are there are a lot of those players that they might as well do that. But you have is a to good be,
0: one. I like
1: that. You have to be responsible about it. You know, you don't want to, You don't want to end up. You don't end up holding the bag like they nearly did with with Allen Crab. I mean, to be me, the the prototype of this is is the Ennis Caner contract by the the Blazers, which was a magnificent troll. But if they had ended up yeah. with that contract, that would have screwed up a lot of what they did. So actually, the, though, the one,
0: I, that, the one that they could really mess with is Denver with Mason Plumley because there's going to be internal pressure from Denver to from match. Mason Plumley, Exactly. But there's going to be internal pressure from Denver to match that basically whatever it is, just given what they spent on acquiring him.
1: Well, I, I don't think they necessarily see it that way because of how how Nurkic kind of how that situation worked out. Yeah, but would... there's also the first round pick there too. Yeah, but Connell, I, I I think that's a little bit I think you're playing a dangerous game with a backup. And at this point I think Denver knows pretty clearly that he's a backup. Yeah. And so I wouldn't push it with Plumley, personally. I I would I actually mean, what I would, would you, what like, would you offer gonna, him? If you're gonna push it for a backup center, I would go with Cristiano Felicio. Yeah. Well yeah,
0: he's Interesting to me. Who Andy is
1: intriguing, Wood. and Chicago is a more relevant team to Brooklyn's situation. And I think he has a lot more upside. He's also, I think, he's like three years younger.
0: I also think he's just considerably not as good as Mason Plumley at basketball. You know, like he's good, but Mason was, you know, starting caliber center on the Blazers.
1: Yeah, but well, I, I think it all depends on value. Like I, I wouldn't give right. Like I you, don't, you wouldn't I don't think give, police, would give you know, the you know, the same money I would give Mason Plumley. Right. But, exactly. Yeah, so I mean but the nets can go and just they can go in so many different directions and I don't know how many other teams are in that boat but they certainly are and then we ha- I don't think we've talked enough about the Sixers because they have just a fascinating circumstance not only because, you know, they're getting the third pick this year so out of that pick swap respect to Sam Hankey, of course. But they oh, also how, have, how great was the banner last night? It was phenomenal. I was in the I was in the interview room at Oracle or no sorry I was in the media room watching that and just just dying. But think about where they are in kind of a broad scope thing. So they have some intriguing talent. I mean, I love Joel Embiid, you do too. Mm-hmm. And just we'll see what Ben Simmons becomes and they have a lot of like, you know, like Robert Covington I really like. I I'm intrigued by TLC and they even have some nice backup guys, you know, like T.J. McConnell, I think he can be a backup point guard. And those, those, there is sure. real value to that if you have those guys under team control. So you have those, those elements. They have the third pick in this draft. They have a ton of cap space. But lingering in the back of their mind is also, they have unprotected picks in the next two drafts after this one from teams that we do not expect to be playoff teams that season.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, The, the Lakers, Lakers
1: in 18 and then the Kings in 19.
0: I wonder how good the Lakers are next year. I have, like, I don't think they're going to be disastrous like they were this year, right?
1: Well, OK, so Nate and I talked about this a little bit on dunked on 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 Tuesday night, and I think they're going to be tanking and ambival- I, I think they're going to be winning, uh, winning ambivalent. So their goal is not going to be just, you know, killing it for next year, but they will be better just because they're better. But remember, they had Lou Williams for a lot of this year, and Lou Williams was the best player on the Lakers last year. And they, they're still young. They're still figuring a lot of this yeah. out. So I think and a lot be of their better. wins
0: came late in the year, too.
1: Right. So I think they'll be better. But also remember that as of now, I think this is also because the talent level around the league is, is getting better. It's also being distributed a little bit more, a little bit differently. I don't think that the worst teams in the league, other than maybe the Nets, are going to be as bad as they were particularly two years ago, but I would say also this year. And so this that year it makes, wasn't too bad,
0: I didn't think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So my my theory with the Lakers is they're going to be towards the bottom of the league. No, you're not the absolute bottom. But then what happens is when other teams kind of reach that trade dead reach the trade deadline Valentine's Day and realize, okay, we're not in it and we're going to fall back, they'll fall they'll they'll go ahead of a bunch of teams. Kind of like New Orleans did this year. Mm -hmm. where they had similar incentives. And so I think that's going to be what happens with them. So the Sixers will get, if I had to guess right now, something around like this, like the sixth through ninth pick, something in that range. And that's a valuable resource for them. But what the Sixers then have to do is they're kind of playing this complicated game, which is very different from almost every other team in the league, because they can get good if they want, but they need to time this out. Because I think that spending a ton of money on Kyle Lowry, spending a ton of money on George Hill, like that makes you better right now. But mm-hmm. when is the when is the best Sixers team in the next five years? My instinct is it's probably closer to year three or year four than year one or year two. How much value do you ascribe in
0: getting it? So say you give George Hill a two plus one contract, a two plus a player option contract at 25 million a year or something. Um, actually, he'll probably get more than that. Let's say 30 million a year. Um, say that you did something like that. Where would you say, what kind of value would you ascribe to just putting your young guys in the right position, like putting Ben Simmons in a natural developmental spot next to a lead guard that doesn't need the ball in his hands, putting Joel Embiid with a competent level, not only a shooter, but who can space the floor, but also a perimeter defender who will kind of allow him to grow and mature in terms of the way that he defends.
1: It's very valuable. I think that it can it can really help, and then also they can get theoretically that that could allow them to get playoff reps before those best teams. Yeah. What
0: makes the Sixers? And George, George Hill's twenty five million, right? I'm sorry for cutting you off, but he's not yeah. thirty million, right? Yeah,
1: because he doesn't have enough experience. Right. He's but like so, in his eighth or ninth year. Right. Yeah. He, he signed a five year extension with the Spurs, and then eventually was traded. Yep. But the Sixers are in a different spot than almost all of these other teams. Kind of parallels the Celtics to a degree, which I'm sure. Sixers fans will love, but their cap space could end up becoming substantially more valuable than it is right now, because all it takes to go from being uh, an afterthought for high-level free agents to being in the room is success. Yep, Future success, present success. And I don't think the Sixers are going to be in that room for Gordon Hayward this year, but if they make the playoffs which is possible, I don't think it's, we'll have to see what they do with their space. But like, if they saved their money, if they hoarded their money and really used it, you know, to extract resources or something like that, they, if either next year or the year after, they can be in the place where they can add elite talent without having to give up assets. And mm-hmm. if they can do that and have unre- unprotected picks from the Lakers and the Kings coming, that's how you become a title team. Yeah. And so so that's that's the opportunity that they're potentially losing with George Hill. But something to remember is that the free agent class next year, I've been looking into this a little bit because I was I was been thinking about the Paul George situation, and I don't think that next year's free agent class really has much, unless they love Derek Favors, but that poses its own problems. I don't think it has much in the way of players that are particularly good fits for where the Sixers are going. Like Guys like Gordon Hayward, who are young and unrestricted, just don't hit the market that much, and the new designated veteran structure is going to make that even harder. So we're talking 2018 free agency class, right? 2018, Not- or even, yeah, I, don't, I haven't looked into 2019 too much yet, but yeah, those would be the two years that if I'm the Sixers, you're sitting there going... Who's going to have a better pitch than we are? Because by that point, Boston will have used their flexibility, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Cleveland has no space and LeBron will be older than, I mean, he's a cyborg, so he'll probably still be good. But the Sixers are that buzzy team that they could be really good. They could be able to add a player on top of a successful franchise. And Philadelphia is not a major market, but it is still, you know, it's it's on the East Coast. It's It's big market adjacent. It's very close to New York. And people, you know, I, I could see people being happy there. They've had players that have had long careers and been beloved there. Yeah. So I think they're above a, a another massive swath of teams in terms of consideration. So all it really takes is one. I don't know who that one is, but all it really does. I, I've been. You know like, what would be the
0: coolest result for me? Okay. Is if they got, well, first and foremost, like Caldwell Pope, I think this summer makes the most sense for them. But. I would like to see them, and this could be a disaster, but I would like to see them make a run at Blake Griffin and put him next to Paul, next to, uh, Joel Embiid. And well, I understand that there would be problems with Ben Simmons there in terms of the way that those two would fit together. But I just think that Embiid covers up so many of Blake Griffin's problems that it's going to bring out the best in Blake. And as we've seen, the best in Blake is genuinely like top 10 player in the league.
1: You want to hear mine? Yeah. It requires a lot of patience and some good fortune. But also remember that the Sixers, partially due to Julius Locafor being a disappointment at this point, and, you know, Stavskis is Stavskis. Stavskis? Yeah. Though him taunting the Kings was pretty rich yesterday about the, the draft pick stuff. But if Philly can maintain max space in 2020, I don't think there's a better destination for Anthony Davis.
0: That's a good, that's a great one. Yeah, that'd be pretty... Challenging just given their cap holds that they're going to have that summer, but I get it. I, I think that you can do what you can do to get Anthony
1: Davis, right? Right. And yeah, that's the summer where Ben Simmons and Dario Sarch will be restricted free agents, so they'll have higher cap holds. But, you know, I, I my logic is kind of that he's, as far off the top of my head, he's the next, like, truly elite guy that will hit unrestricted free agency. So if you can be in the mix for him, you make it work. I mean,
0: I, I guess, like, here's a Interesting idea too. Like, if they can make a run this year to at least like the eight seed, do you think that that entices Paul George, or do we think that Paul George is just straight up going to LA?
1: I think he'd be intrigued, especially if it looks like the Lakers are a few years away. Because he's, I think, I think he'll be twenty eight when he's when he's a free agent, and so that means he his window for being a part of like a, a serious contender is pretty narrow. And players are getting more honest about that. So I think he'd consider it, but. It's not like I think they'd get in the room, but I don't think they'd be anything close to the favorites.
0: Yeah, and Jimmy Butler is another one, right? Like Jimmy Butler is up in two years, right? Right. So like he would be, he'd be an interesting one because they don't really have a ton of shooting, or he doesn't really have bring a ton of shooting, even though he's really improved in that way. Um, But he would be an interesting fit as like a wing creator next to Ben Simmons if you're like married to this idea of Ben Simmons as lead ball handler.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm just absolutely fascinated by the Sixers and. too. If they approach this draft from a healthy perspective and basically just say, let's get somebody who 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 can be a good player for us and understanding that, especially since there aren't any centers on the board where they're going to pick that the whole thing is in kind of flux. So just get get whoever you think is best or trade down and get some assets or something like that. Like, I think that they have to take a guard. I will say that now. See, I don't. I I think that they just take the best player available, whoever it is, and I I love Ben Simmons. I thought he was the best player in that draft. I am not so confident in him that I would preclude myself from taking somebody just because I have him.
0: So here's kind of my reasoning on why I think they have to take a point guard here, or at least someone that they can play at the point guard position if you believe Ben Simmons is a point guard. So... We talk about next year's draft class all the time, right? Like we talk about how the top of that class looks pretty great. Um, if you look at who's at the top of that class, you got Luka Doncic, who is kind of like a two, three combo right now at six foot eight, like who can handle the ball a decent amount. He's like a way better version of Dario Saric, who can play the wing instead of the four, right? He's just kind of considerably better in all capacities, but he's not really a point guard. I think is what I'm trying to say here. Michael Porter is your three, four Deandre Ayton's a center. Bomba is a center. Williams is a center. Uh, miles bridges is like a combo forward. Uh, Wendell Carter is a center. Like your best point guards in that class are Colin Sexton and Trayvon Duvall. And I don't really think that either of those two, as much as I like both of those players, I don't really think either of those two are better than any of the point guards in this class, to be honest. Like, I still think Ben Simmons, or I'm sorry, Dennis Smith is better than both of those two. So, I think that you want to stick to guard here because it's your best chance to get the elite guard that you need.
1: If they are on that slower timeline that we talked about before, of like three or four years out. Mm hmm. I think you're right because then that point guard can grow into it. The other way to handle that is And then to uh,
0: I also just want to th- go ahead. Can I follow up real quick on this sure, too? Of course. So the next draft, the next draft class in theory like 2019 and we're getting so far into the weeds. We're getting so far out, like out there like to where these players still haven't developed in the way that they're going to, but that next point guard class and high school class is even worse. So th- this is really like For me, they're big chance to get a point guard. Otherwise, you're really limiting yourself.
1: I will take your word for it. You know those classes far better than I. But I also think that if their goal is to be competitive sooner, Mm -hmm. it could be wise to just get a point guard who's already more established. And we are reaching reaching a point with the bumper crop where somebody like George Hill, somebody like Eric Bledsoe, where you just kind of go that route and make it and, and get a little bit more competitive and you don't you don't wait out a point guard if you don't think that any of them are worth it if you do then by all means i mean point guard the part of the reason it's such a value position is that you just not only do you need one good guy there you need 48 capable minutes and sure tj mcconnell can be a part of that but it, it's good to have it from other players so is, is eric bledsoe though the point guard of your next
0: contender though
1: no, probably not. And so, so then that ties in with your point of you want to, you want to try to get that guy through the draft because it is hard to do that through for agency.
0: Right. So to at least to me, that's what I'm doing. I'm looking at guys like, you know, guys like Malik Monk, even like, if you think that he can create enough off the dribble in pick and roll settings to be like a secondary, um, to be like a secondary ball handler next to Ben Simmons. I look at that. Um, if you think that Dennis Smith is just going to be a star, I take him. If you think De- De'Aaron Fox, even though he has the shooting concerns, if you trust your development staff to build up his body, that's who I'm taking. I mean, I get that, you know, I have Jason Tatum at number two on my board, but if I was creating a Sixers specific board, I like his fit next to Ben Simmons, but it's just so incredibly important to me that they get this elite guard in play here.
1: I think that's certainly a fair point. Let let's kind of move down the board a little bit. What teams in the late lottery are intriguing to you both in terms of kind of where they are and who they could potentially draft? So
0: Sacramento has a lot of options, right? I mean having both five and ten, how do they theorize this out? Do they go point guard at five and then hope that, you know, a wing falls to them at ten? Do you reach for a wing at 10 if you take point guard at five? Do you hope that a point guard falls to you at 10 and take one of the elite wings at five? They're in a really tricky spot, I think because I I did James Ham's podcast earlier today and I like the idea of De'Aaron Fox there a lot. If he's there, I also have Jason Tatum and number two on my board and I think he's a great fit there too. And I just think he's a better player than De'Aaron Fox, but you almost I got that, like, at five, your idea is you probably just want to take the best player available. But I think that more goes into it than that. You really need to do your due diligence in terms of what you think other teams are going to do. Do you think that, you know, New York is definitely taking a guard? Do you think that Minnesota is definitely taking a forward? Or do you think that they could surprise? Because – you need to come out of this draft with not just one good player. You need to come out of it with two. You need to come out of it with, you know, two of these top ten consensus guys. Not just, you know, De'Aaron Fox and a reach on a wing player like Hamidou Diallo or whoever. Right. You need to come out of this with two high level assets, in my opinion. And it's it's more complicated than simply just saying we're going to take the best player available at five.
1: Especially if the point guard situation is what you think it'll be moving forward, because that will be hard for them to improve, you know, to get a free agent. This is not Philadelphia where, you know, they might have max space and have a really good team around it where they can woo the George Hills that come around. Sacramento is always going to have trouble with that. So in terms of resource management, it can be very useful for them and. They also have the benefit of waiting. You know, they're they're not in a rush right now. They they traded DeMarcus Cousins for Buddy Heald and the pick that is now number 10. So it takes a while with a one, but mm-hmm. they have the time to wait. Yeah. No,
0: I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, Charlotte, I think, is a really interesting one, too, because I think that they might end up stuck with Zach Collins. And I don't think that that's a bad thing, necessarily. Zach Collins is a really, really good basketball player. But I think their fans might revolt if they take another tall white
1: guy. I mean, what makes that so much worse is that they traded for Miles Plumley. Yeah. Because having two good centers is fine, especially if you can get them in the later part of the draft. I mean, think back to Indiana. They drafted Miles Turner when they already had Jan Mahimi. That worked out pretty damn well for them.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you're 100% right there. Sometimes you just got to take the best guy available and, you know, just have him beat the other guy out for the spot, right? Um, I like what they have. Denver is in a really interesting spot because I am sure that the nuggets hope that this is the last year they're in the lottery, right? All of their hoping all of their young guys kind of mature and are, are able to make that run toward the playoffs next year. So do they kind of look at OG Ananobi as the missing piece there. I know that they have a lot of offense and Ananobi is potentially the best defender in this draft. I think, uh, you know, I've, Look at Jonathan Isaac and I look at Jordan Bell and I look at, you know, Josh Jackson as potential competitors in that, in that way. But OG Ananobi, I think is again right in that class with them. So do they decide that Ananobi is the player? that is kind of their missing link in terms of being switchable defensively as a guy that can protect the weak side of the rim for Nikola Jokic, as well as guard multiple positions and do a lot of things for what they're looking to do. I think it's a good fit, but I also think that he might be the worst offensive player in the first round. So does he fit with what they want to do offensively? It's a a tricky spot.
1: I am also intrigued by the idea, and I mentioned this before, but it's important to repeat, of them trying to trade up because they have a lot of assets. They, you know, whether it's players that are already under contract, like Will sure. Barton and Wilson Chandler, or, you know, just kind of future assets. They could theoretically take on somebody with cap space. So if there is, what, if,
0: what if you moved 13 and Emmanuel Mudiay for five.
1: Yeah. I be it'd be funny to see the Kings trade down again from a, from a high pick, but I could see that totally working for them. And also keep in mind that they maybe not necessarily with the Kings, but they have players, you know, like like Malik Beasley. You know, Beasley's a really good player, but they also have Gary Harris and Jamal Murray. So if you want to if you want to cash in that resource at this point to get the right fit. And I think a lot of the forwards in this class fit incredibly well with Denver and they don't necessarily conflict with what they want to do in free agency.
0: Yeah, I mean they could go out and get Jason Tatum, Josh Jackson, or Jonathan Isaac, and that's gonna be perfect for exactly what they want to do.
1: Plus if they get, if they can move up there and get John Isaac, I think Isaac might be the most intriguing fit. You can go and you can make arguments for all these guys, but I think Isaac is is intriguing as a fit next to Jokic with the switchability and everything else. Sure. If you can do that and still retain the space to sign Paul Millsap, you not only have your kind of your present, but you kind of have, you, you, you are able to kind of fill two success cycles at once. Yeah. And those opportunities are very hard to come by.
0: Yeah, they really are. If they could find a way to end up with an elite player in the draft, like one of the top like six players, as well as a guy like you know Paul Millsap, or I mean, I'll throw the name Gordon Hayward out there, but I doubt that he's a possibility there. That would be genuinely a franchise changing offseason. And they have the assets to do it, I think is the most important part. They genuinely have enough in their toolkit to be able to pull this off. And not only do you have... Malik Beasley, you have Juancho Hernan Gomez. You have you know one of the point guards in Jamal Murray and Emmanuel Mudiay, depending on uh, what the other team asks for. I'm sure that Denver values Murray considerably higher than they value Mudiay. Um, but you have you have all of these assets going forward, and you know it, it's it's plausible to me that they could just simply decide, hey. This is what we're. This is what we're going for. This is what we're trying to do. We're going to make our splash now before we have to pay Nikola Jokic in the offseason uh, next summer. And Jokic is in a Jokic. That extension is fascinating to me too because his cap hold is going to be so low. Denver essentially has this offseason and next off season to make a move. Danilo Gallinari complicates this as well to where I wonder if they should just bite the bullet and let him go.
1: I think they can just kind of play it by ear with him. See yeah. what he's getting offered. See what makes sense with it. I have a trade partner for you. I'm in. If they prefer Isaac, so because I think Josh Jackson's going to go long before this, and Tatum probably will as well. Orlando at six. Mm-hmm. A, they need a shooting guard. Denver has like ten of them. Yeah. B, they need scoring. Denver has a lot of that. And C, if Denver was willing to part with Emmanuel Mudiay, that solves a. Lo- it doesn't solve Orlando's problems necessarily. That might be putting it too strongly but it, it gives them more options.
0: Sure. So you're and, saying Moodyer so, and Beasley for six.
1: Or, you know, Beasley, Hernan Gomez, and it, they have they have the 13th pick yeah, yep. and 13 for six. Like that might... Right, they, yeah. Basically, you just figure out something in this pile of assets and work it from there.
0: Yeah, I think that that's kind of an interesting idea.
1: So that's one idea. And there aren't a lot of teams in the... Kind of the late lottery other than Denver that I think have a really good chance of trading up. Portland is technically outside of the late lottery because they have the 15th pick and the 15th pick is as close to the lottery as you can get without actually being in. But they would have to really, I I don't think that trading like two or three late first round picks gets you that far.
0: No, no. I mean, it's more of a nuisance at that stage. Like I don't think Portland takes their three picks to be honest.
1: Yeah, they could use stashes. They could also use them, if they want to, to salary dump a guy or two. Portland you, here, also... I have, I have a Portland idea. Um, okay.
0: I would try and move one of Portland's picks, maybe 20, and one of their contracts, be it Evan Turner or Alan Crabb or whoever Dallas would want, for Wes Matthews.
1: Hmm. I don't think that's enough for their truly... I, I think that just straight up dumping their their worst contracts... Is, is actually will cost more than a first round pick, more than the first round picks they have, like one of those. But do you think that Alan Crab is that negative of a value? Say it's Alan Crab No, Crabb is Crabbe, a tougher call. Like that, that, he's different. He, he, I could see an argument made for that. So basically, then in some ways, what Dallas is doing is they're saying we're probably not going to be a cap space team in the near term. Yep. And that might be a smart argument for them. Yeah, Yeah, like, you end up
0: with a younger player who could potentially be a piece on your next winner in Alan Crabb. You end up with a draft pick, which I think they're gonna wanna try and stockpile here going forward. Wes Matthews, why he's attractive to Portland. Portland obviously really needs to improve its perimeter defense. Matthews is still an excellent defender. Uh, Still really knows how to get after it on that end. Just as good of a shooter as Alan Crabb. I think that he would be able to step into that starting three role and really balance out their starting lineup because then you could genuinely bring Al Farouk Aminu off the bench and not lose anything in your starting lineup, right?
1: It's intriguing. And also Matthews, Kind of fits in with their financial timeline a little bit better because while I would expect him to pick up his player option for twenty eighteen nineteen, it's you know that that's still closer, especially because that's the year they're going to be paying Nurkic because you know Nurkic is extension eligible now too. So no idea what happens there. I would imagine
0: Nurkic wants to play that out.
1: I think both I think both sides are going to end up there just because yeah. the Blazers will extract will demand a concession and Nurkic won't want to make it. Yeah. So, but I've been wrong on those before. That's how I thought Gorji Jang was going to play out. I was wrong. I was real wrong. So, you never know for sure. But one thing I do know for sure is how important it is in basketball to have the right players in the right situation at the right time. And really, business works the same way. And that's why I was really impressed with ZipRecruiter back when I was a prospective employee and have the full confidence that it can work incredibly well for you as an employer. Finding people, the right people for your jobs is, is has been a challenge for a long time. And don't want to put out feelers everywhere. It takes a lot of time. You have to filter through everybody to find the right fit. And what ZipRecruiter does is... It accomplishes a lot of those different goals at the same time. You post your job to more than 100 job sites with a single click, and then you can screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place. So you don't have to worry about even that part of the process. You can do it all through ZipRecruiter. It's a pretty amazing product for what businesses are looking for now, really at, at any part of the hiring process, whether you're looking for somebody more in a higher end position or you're looking for an entry level person. It's a great way to go through all of that. And you can start building your team on ZipRecruiter for free. You go to ZipRecruiter.com sportsfan and you can try it out. You can put up a job posting and hopefully you will be as impressed with the product as, as I was when I was applying. And again, it's ziprecruiter.com slash sports fan. And it's a great way to find the next person for your great job. I like the idea of, of teams becoming more realistic in terms of the value of their cap space. So mm-hmm. you have two, two ways that this can matter. One is the value of your cap space. So this is basically teams in less desirable markets realizing that hey, we're not going to get the next Anthony Davis. (laughs) But the the corollary is understanding that we're not going to have as much space and we're not going to be able to use it as well. And that's more like what Phoenix can do, where they can say, hey, you know, like we're not going to clear max cap space. Is Is it better for us to just have like 10 million a year for a couple of years? Or, you know, cash some of this out and use that in different ways. Brooklyn, I think, has done a nice job of that recently. And those teams can and will benefit. I mean, we saw in this lottery one of the greatest examples that in modern history with the the Sixers. The Sixers took on money partially because the Kings made a a bad trade offer and were desperate in the wrong way. But they were desperate to get Rajon Rondo on a one year contract. Yes. So important. (laughs) So important. And also, oh, I should mention this. My favorite harebrained idea that I've thought of, and it's not going to happen for obvious reasons, would be if the Bulls picked up his guarantee and then traded him to the kings why because if the bulls decided that they wanted cap space and the kings realized they weren't going to get somebody better for next year yeah i guess that'd like, be really but, funny it would be unbelievably funny but it's not going to happen because if the bulls pick it up it's to keep him
0: yeah i think the bulls i think that is ultimately what happens i think they pick it up
1: and keep him i'm going to be so angry if their off season is basically a holding pattern because oh so will i but i think that's what's going to happen Oh, absolutely! And they are—they can look into the future right now. They can put on their—they can put on some sort of magic binoculars and just—just just look at what happens to the Pacers this summer and say, "Is that really what we want to do a, summer, a year from now?" Because that's January, exactly where they're going to be.
0: If they decide that they want to pick up Rajon Rondo's contract, they should just trade Jimmy Butler now. Like, get the most value you can. So you, know,
1: you know what they should do if they're going to do that? They, they should, should not trade pick Jimmy, up they Rajon Rondo, but They should trade Jimmy Butler if they're if they're going in that route. They should trade Jimmy Butler before Dwayne Wade has to decide on his player option.
0: Yes, I would agree with that too. That would be excellent. That would be really really smart. That won't happen, but that would be no, no, that would it, be, it
1: won't. But that would be smart. I, I think I think that's an overarching thing that we can talk about. With, or well, that, here's it,
0: the question: Should they just trade him? Like, do you think that they should just trade him now? Do you think that in the next two years they can build? enough of a contender around him to make it worthwhile.
1: I don't think they can. And a a related problem is that, while I love Jimmy Butler. I had him, you know, as an all NBA player. Yeah. I am not comfortable with the way that the salary cap is going. I am not comfortable giving him a designated veteran extension right now. Because his
0: will be at 30 million the year that he is eligible for an extension, right? Because he'll be assumedly all NBA in his ninth year.
1: Right, so maybe eighth year
0: because of the player option. Sorry, but he's in the seven to nine band.
1: Correct. So if you give him that contract, he's a little bit older. So you're going to be paying him into his thirties, and mm-hmm. Chicago it, is well, it, he'll, he'll, he'll be it,
0: thirty when that happens, right? Right, like, he'll, he'll be thirty he'll, when it starts. Thirty,
1: yeah. And so he'll be in his thirties for that whole contract, and you know he could age okay. He's improved so much over the course of his NBA career, but yeah. with any contract like that. You're relying a lot on front end value because those players are always, especially if the cap's going to stay flattish, those players are going to be bad values on the later part of their contract. They're going to be hard to move, all that sort of stuff. Carmel Anthony even was this, even if the Knicks didn't admit it. And he's, you know, he's fine at his number, but it's complicated. Chicago, as of now, does not look to be good enough in the first couple years of that contract to justify the last couple years of that contract. And if that's the case, if that's how they feel, and it should be how they feel, I I hope they agree with me, then you move him because they can get an asset because he can make a team better right now. And that value proposition changes if they move him now for that other team for two reasons. One, presumably you're trading him to a team that's good right now, Boston, whoever. Also, they can't give him the designated veteran. So that takes away like the worst option from the table for them, which is valuable. Yeah, no, it is.
0: Um... I guess that my, my idea for Jimmy Butler is they should just trade him to Boston now. I would say, you know, give me the, I don't think Boston will trade the number one overall pick. Um, I don't think they should, but I think that you could get the 2018 Nets pick. I think you could probably get 2018 Boston pick as well. Um, I think you could get one of, Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart, depending on which one you want to value more. Marcus Smart's a worse player on a more favorable contract that has rights going out into the future for the next potentially five years. Avery Bradley's a better player that's on a one-year deal. Um, maybe you just want the cap space cap space, and you don't want to pay Marcus Smart. I don't know. Um, you could get Jalen Brown, who's on a cheap deal. You could get Terry Rozier, who could theoretically play point guard for you. There are a lot of options there. Um, you could get Ante Zizic, you could get Yabusele if you want. Like Boston has enough options to where they can make a Jimmy Butler trade work without 2017 number one.
1: Right, and Boston has so many different assets at varying levels that it looks like they can make something happen because this isn't a kind of a, a situation where they have to hold their best things and they don't have enough to throw out there because that can always be a problem where – Right. hey we want to trade we want to trade for X player who's certainly an elite talent but we're not willing to give up X y and z but right. Boston you're, you're just like, has. you're so killing much.
0: yourself by trading one asset that you need next year to get another one
1: right right so so Boston's in that space Butler is a logical fit for it and also he his presence especially if they can time this out right and use their cap space basically agree to the trade at some point in the nearer term and then consummate it after, which happens all the time. Like, that's not some something bold, something new. There's a problem with this, but go ahead. That, Well, I mean, yeah, there are a couple. But that they can get into this place where they can add somebody else with the sales pitch saying, hey, you're going to get to play with Jimmy Butler.
0: Right. So the the kind of problem here, I guess, is that you have to do this all early and Jimmy Butler will – you have to do this – you have to trade for Jimmy Butler after – you sign a free agent probably, right? Like no, the money, I disagree.
1: You don't think, I think so? I think they tried to trade for Butler on draft night or around draft night. So that makes it really tight
0: to go sign a Gordon Hayward then. And the thing is, is the only way that I trade for Jimmy Butler if I'm Boston is if I can get Gordon Hayward in free agency. Otherwise, I think if you're Boston, you're better off playing the long game to be bo- to be the next team after LeBron, right? Like, if you don't get Jimmy Butler, I would probably trade Isaiah Thomas. And like recoup all of the value for Isaiah.
1: Well, yeah, we've talked before about the idea that Isaiah's next contract is going to be absolutely terrifying.
0: Yes. Like I would not want to full stop. Isaiah is one of the 10 best players in the NBA right now. I do not want to pay that next contract. That is terrifying to me. And I might be wrong. And Isaiah has certainly proved all of us wrong uh, in his career. And I root the best for him. I don't want to be the team that pays that money Um, with that being the case. Uh, I am if I am Boston trying to position myself to be the next team after LeBron and Jimmy Butler doesn't do that for me, I guess. Right. Like he's going to be 30 by the time that contract starts.
1: That's an interesting way of thinking about it. And I think that it could. Yeah. If you're if you're focusing on ceiling, you could be right in terms of just him. him kind of being a little bit too old for everything for everything there.
0: And I, I move Isaiah Thomas to what team. You know what team needs a point guard right So
1: the other way to play the Isaiah Thomas thing, and and I think a a good GM, and I assume Danny Ainge would do this too, if he if he was thinking about it the way that we are, Mm -hmm. is if a team doesn't make that offer at the beginning, you know, like early on in free agency, uh, at some point, or or even in later July, it doesn't really matter there because that that you know it affects how they're thinking about free agents, but on a on a real macro scale, I'm not sure it does because they're just you know they're just going to be looking for good value wherever it is, and if they don't get Gordon Hayward, so. Well, their ultimate scenario is this
0: summer, they end up with Gordon Hayward plus trade target plus Markel Fultz. Like that, that sets them up for now and into the future.
1: Sure. But so what I'm getting at with Isaiah is I don't think they have to trade him this summer. If the offers are a little bit tepid, they could try to move him early in the season. So maybe you don't want to wait until the deadline because then he's a straight rental. But maybe in that. Because I think they want they would want to know what they have in Markel Fultz before they make that decision, and they're not going to know by the start of free agency, obviously. And that that could be a nice little opportunity. Plus, there's the whole thing that they I don't know if the, how if or how much they have a personal relationship, but you know maybe that could help a little bit. So Boston might need to be in the information gathering business for a little longer than they like, but their their next calendar year is just so astonishingly interesting.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, Boston is, like I said, they are the team best positioned to be the team in the East after LeBron
1: right now. Um, Well, okay, so I want to give you a question. So we talked about the positioning after LeBron. I agree with you on that. Let's say they paid a reasonable return for Jimmy Butler and they retained everybody else and they added Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Where would you put them in terms of the 2018 title picture?
0: So you're talking about a team that has... Isaiah, Markel Fultz. I would assume that Avery is still there, right? Like, I don't think that Avery is going to be the main piece, right? He's a a, he's a really because he's Ill- he's a really he's a
1: really logical part of a Gordon Hayward of of sorry of a Jimmy Butler trade, just because he's an expiring contract, right?
0: So. so you still have Avery. Then you have Jimmy Butler, Paul or Jimmy Butler, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford,
1: and probably one of Jalen Brown or Jake Router.
0: Yeah, I would probably say Jay is the one who goes just because his contract is so incredibly valuable. Um, Also, I don't think he'd be super pleased. And I think you'd probably just want to get rid of that idea. You'd just want to not have to deal with that. Um, So probably Jalen Brown. You have one of you have Jidic, You have um, Yabusele, who I'm not sure what he is yet. Um, You have you have what else? You probably don't have Terry Rozier, I will say. Yeah, I think that that team's right on par with Cleveland. I mean, I'm not going to say they're better than any team with LeBron, but I'd say that they're 50-50 right there.
1: I'd say they're better than Cleveland. That doesn't mean they would win, but I'd say they'd be better. because remember
0: they're better than Cleveland.
1: And remember that Cleveland will be a year older, and that matters more for them than it would for Boston, because Boston would be younger. But at the same point, the other part I was getting at is, I still wouldn't favor that team over the Warriors. Oh, boy. Um... Probably not. No,
0: probably not. Would
1: that be a fun series?
0: It would be an incredibly fun series. I still probably don't favor them over the Warriors, but it's deals that you have to make if they present the opportunity. Right. Um, Also the Warriors, again, a little bit older than that team would be not super old, but I think we both think Draymond is probably going to age quicker than most players. Right.
1: I think that he'll, I think offensively it could be a little bit of a challenge, but he's so smart. Yeah. It could work out, but but the the, quick, the question with him is quickness because his recognition is already elite. Like the reason he is the probable defensive player of the year is his combination of recognition and quickness, and he's not going to lose the recognition. But if the quickness, if he gets a half step slower, he just can't be everywhere at once in the same way. Yeah, no,
0: that's one hundred percent right. Um, Clay is going to be fine, probably. You know, Stephen Curry. The thing with Curry is I don't think we need to worry about the ankles anymore, but they're always there in the back of the mind as he continues to age, especially who knows what happens. Um, I still would take the Warriors, but it'd be close because what, like I said, you're talking Isaiah Markell, Avery Bradley, Jimmy Butler, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, Jalen Brown, probably, you know. Jijicciabusselli, who else? There, like there are so many dudes on that team, and you would get you get like random free agents too.
1: Yeah, they would be one of the most enticing teams for minimum guys who are looking to to make good. And and what they would have they would have an exception too. Well, they probably have the room exception. Yeah, yeah. Depending on so it'd be more than minimum. It'd be
0: like what Zaza is getting this year
1: there'd be more than that because they raised the room but there you know it, it'll be it'll be interesting but it would also probably take some time to run all through all that so some guys might already have already decided but that gets into the key idea i think that actually amplifies your case in terms of why boston should wait if they can't get gordon hayward because if that's what it takes to get past the warriors and probably to get past cleveland you can't ex- you can't give up resources for anything less when you're as good as they can be long term. And then remember, you know, I we we are I already floated the idea of Anthony Davis to another intriguing, talented Eastern Conference team. If he makes it to free agency, if he doesn't take the designated veteran if he wants to win, Boston could be another place there because they just have so many assets that they could they're always gonna be in the mix for guys. And for, with Davis, it would probably be via trade, not via free agency.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's all right. I also love how this turned from draft lottery podcast into projecting the future of the NBA
1: podcast. That's the way we do it, man. You it know, really we, is.
0: Like you never know how this conversation with you and I is going to go. And especially because like we never, we
1: never out. really plan it. And no, you just so, so, chat so, me and say, Hey,
0: uh, do you have time to be on a podcast this week? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Anytime. And then we just start talking.
1: <laughs> but something else I wanted to discuss briefly, it was just, any takeaways you had? I I didn't get to watch much of the combine. I was busy. But oh, yeah, were there any a, were there any notable takeaways from it? Um I think my main
0: takeaway from the combine is we need to find a way to make the combine relevant. <laughs> um if it's go, if the NBA really wants it to be a centerpiece of their like draft season, right? Which I think it's pretty clear that they do. Um we need to find a way to make it matter more in the information age where NBA teams and even the public now, because of the great work that John Gavoni has done over at draft express, we already have so much information on these guys. Like 15 years ago in the early two thousands, the combine was an incredibly valuable tool because it allowed us to get measurements and it allowed us to get athletic testing for the first time. And, you know, a lot of the five on five guys showed up nowadays. Not necessarily as valuable because even with the way that the public age has gone in terms of just data collection, NBA teams have databases of all of these measurements and all of the athletic testing they've done over the years at specialty events. And it's public now with Draft Express. Like, like I said, like John's done a great job of keeping it public. So no matter what players do there, basically, they don't really raise their stock all that much right like hamadou diallo measured six foot five with a 611 wingspan had a 44 inch vertical leap had the best shuttle run of the combine literally could not have done anything more to theoretically help himself but it doesn't really matter because we knew he was going to do all that right like hamadou diallo we know that he's this elite prospect with an elite frame what does it matter like what he does at the combine i guess right
1: It's also complicated because basketball is a very different sport than football in terms of the way that it is scouted and the way that it that it presents itself. So the high level guys are never going to be they don't need to prove themselves in a system in the same way because they've they've already done it. And so to me, Tom Zillers mentioned this, and I I fully agree with it. One way to help the combine is to do it after the lottery, because then the more important part there is drawing people in to make it more of an interview space. And yeah, that makes it less fun for for fans because that stuff will never be public. But at least then the talent is going to be in the building. And I think that's a a nice little benefit of it. That is not necessarily there because- Are we sure they
0: would be in the building?
1: No, but it seems more likely. You know, at least they would- I think it seems more
0: likely, but I still don't think that like- I don't think Lonzo Ball was showing up to the combine this year.
1: Well, you know, if based on what happened in the lottery, there's you can be damn sure he wouldn't have showed up if 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 what happened happened.
0: Right. No, but like I I think that with the way that representation is now, um, and this is not derogatory toward agents. Uh, like I actually agree with everything that they do in this way. I think that it, it just they're they're never going to send guys. You know, they're never going to send. Jason Tatum to the combine, uh, as currently constructed, just because what's the purpose of sending him to the combine? One thing that Paul Flannery, uh, was me, him and Ricky O'Donnell talking. And his idea was, if you don't go to the combine, you can't go to the draft. I thought that was an interesting idea. It's not like, I I feel like everyone wants to go to draft night, right? So, or at least in the NBA, it's a lot more, um, prevalent that you want to do that. Versus the NFL, where like it's not necessarily as big a deal. Um, I think that that would be one way to improve it, certainly. Just like,
1: and, and what you would have to do there, putting on my lawyer hat for a second, is you would have to do it just for like appearance. You can't make them do the athletic testing or the five on five because then the insurance part of it's going to kick in, but you can make them show up and that would help.
0: Yeah, no, you could just make, make them show up, make them do media obligations. And, you know, the big one that NBA teams want is they want everyone to go through at, or medical testing, right? Like they want to be able to meet with these players and go through medical testing. That's the two most important parts of the NBA draft combine. And that's what makes it valuable for them to still go to the combine and make it a piece of their offseason. I don't think I would imagine that you being a lawyer, you would not be forced No player would be forced to go through medical testing,
1: right? I don't think so. I think that gets into a lot of discretionary stuff that would be uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. So like, it it gets really tricky. One other one that I heard, and I think, I forget who said it, so I'm not going to say the name, Um, but he said, try and tie a rookie scale to it. You're not eligible to get 120% of the rookie scale. You can only get 100% of the rookie scale if you uh, don't go to the combine.
1: That's way too complicated. Uh, it's possible. Like, I think, you, first of all, you'd have to agree to that in the CBA, Like, but, but both sides yeah. could do that. The reason that I think that's a bigger issue is the is the international guys, because right. it's not fair to to put that restriction on Frank when his team is still playing. It's like, right. yeah, yeah, I'm not going to be there at the Combine because I'm actually playing professional basketball right now. Yeah.
0: Part of the reason that I didn't want to say who told me it is because I don't really think it's a good idea. Um, oh, it's always so... nice of you. It was at least just like a thought, though, that I would throw out, you know, like it's I think there are ways to do it, but the NBA needs to do something because the combine this year was It's just kind of a drag, you know, like it it was somewhat useful for NBA teams, but not as useful as the event should be.
1: It's also very fair to say that it would never it will never be what the NFL combine is for a million different reasons. And so.
0: But like, why does ESPN have eight hours of coverage of the NBA Draft Combine? Like, what are we doing here?
1: <laughs> I think they're looking for content during the day. And, you know, I think it, it's good to have a presence. Like, I if, if like I had if,
0: to... you have to pay to, like, produce the NBA Draft show, do we really think the NBA Draft Combine is getting any sort of higher ratings than you already having set up a studio in Bristol?
1: well so then you have the question of is it because i think having filming of the testing stuff would would drive value not necessarily airing it on on the main network you know maybe you have that on espn now or whatever they're calling it at the moment that might be a way to do it (laughs) i don't know personally how that differs in terms of cost with production and everything else from having you know like having staff there in a more direct sense but I also think it's the, there is a a certain part of it that maybe you don't do it by ESPN. Maybe it's on NBA TV or something where it's about kind of keeping up uh, experience, like interest in that part of the process. It is at a time when people who are on, who are fans of teams that are not yet, that are not presently relevant in the playoff structure can have some interest, but maybe you package it very differently for television and use and use the NBA's resources as opposed to using ESPNs, but they can do whatever they want with their money.
0: Yeah. And by the way, like it was a super valuable event for me. I talked to DJ Wilson for the first time. I talked to uh, Terrence Ferguson eh, for the first time, but I talked to him like for one of the first times to talk to him. Um, I t- I've talked to like now Shemi Ojale for the first time. Like it was a super valuable event and I'm going to get a lot of great feature content on it. Jawan Evans is another one that I'm going to write about tomorrow at Vice. But like, in a practical sense, I guess, in an efficiency sense, I'm not sure it's useful.
1: You brought up Terrence. You brought up Terrence Ferguson. I want to say just, just ask you kind of briefly where. Why is he like? It looks like he's kind of lower in stuff right now. Considering scarcity, doesn't it make sense for a team to just take th- to roll the dice on him just on the on the idea that if he can become a rotation player, maybe even a starter, it's just so valuable?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was talking to NBA teams there. They were telling me like. He might not be in the 20s. Like, he might not be a first round pick. Like, he's, you know, he's still so far away from being a contributor. Um, I, I don't necessarily know that I buy that. Like, I, I have him inside of my top 20, but he's certainly not at the like top 12 spot that like a lot of people had him coming into the combine before, you know, more than anything, the combine kind of acts as a convention, right? Where you get a chance to, chat with a lot of your friends that you haven't seen over the course of years and everything. And that's really valuable for sure. Um, what, What I will say is that he did not have an incredible year in Australia. I think that his year has been somewhat overstated in terms of badness. Like he was still a top 10 spot up shooter in Australia this year that has defensive versatility and, you know, PER and, you know, all of the efficiency metrics, they always undervalue, you know, spot up shooters like Clay Thompson and, you know, guys of his ilk. So Ferguson, I think has a long way to go in terms of body, but he sits down, he defends, he's quick and he can shoot. That matters. I mean, that stuff is incredibly valuable and we'll see what happens with him basically. Like I'm not, I'm not killing him, but like, I would take him at like 19 or 18, no problem. And not think twice. Like the, the thing that, we haven't talked about yet. And I know that this is one thing that like you and I will love to talk about just because we're, we've been preaching this for years. A lot of people have like, and I don't mean to, you know, disparage John Gavoni and everyone at draft express. Like they do the best job of this. They are so much better at this than I am that I can't even begin to like comprehend. But one thing that they have right now is I think that 17 of the 24 players from 11 to 34, in their combine right now or in their mock draft right now are true big men like guys who, when you're closing games will play center. I don't see how that happens on draft night, I guess. Like I have, I think right now in my top 34, something like 12 guys or so. Like I've, I've specifically tried to pare it down because I just don't see how that many bigs go in an era where bigs are becoming less or at least true bigs that you have to close as fives with are becoming less valuable by the day.
1: And you can even think back to last year. First two picks of the second round were Deontay Davis and Zubac. Both yes. those guys, you could make a very easy argument were first round talents, but part of the reason they fell was because of the lack of positional scarcity. And they fell. Shake Diallo was third. And you know, all those guys are, yeah, I, I would say all those group. guys have given you reasons for their teams to be happy with those selections. But
0: that's yeah, why guys like Malachi Richardson went up into the first round. It's why, right. You know, yeah. I mean, and, Timmy and so, like, the first round but, pick.
1: If you look at the, if you look at last year's draft and just how few swingmen were available, so I'm going to count Brogdon as a one, which is complicated, but Zagorak
0: I, I, I would count him as a swingman because I don't think we knew he was going to be a one coming into okay, last year. That's
1: fair. So Zagorak, Pat McCaw, Brogdon, Whitehead, I guess. I count Whitehead as a guard. Isaiah Cordonier and probably
0: then, a guard as well.
1: And then Zipser, Jake Lehman, probably. Yeah, I consider Lehman a four, but yeah, I mean Benjé, um, uh, Benjé, and then. But like um, that's th- that list is so thin, and that's why you have to take those guys high because I mean, and and McCaw and why aren't Zipser
0: was, rated as a first rounder last year? Yeah, and I
1: think your your ruling on that was correct. But yeah. I mean,
0: athletic guys that can shoot are scarce in today's NBA.
1: So I think I think you're right that that will change. But of course, you know, it's a. It's a I, I have always think of mocks at this point with so much time left as being more kind of like a yeah. rankings that are slightly slightly adjusted based on team needs. And then once you start getting that intel in, it'll change. Now, if if we're saying so, that on June 10th, yeah, then we'll be it's having a little bit a, weird. We'll be having a different conversation, but like the wings that
0: I have moved up a little bit higher than where I think most people have them right now. I probably have Ferguson a little bit higher. I definitely have Diallo a little bit higher. I have Shemi Ojale a little bit higher, even though he kind of profiles more as a four, but he's still good. Um, I have Derek White higher from Colorado. I have Josh Hart higher. Um, that's so, probably what about it, Dylan Brooks. I don't think Dylan Brooks is an NBA player. Okay. Good to know. Um, I, I, like, so we talk about like who do you guard on the NBA level? I, I don't. He he's going to be best off guarding fours, but he's six six with a six six wingspan, and he's not like super powerful. You know, like he's not Jay Crowder. Whenever it comes to you know having short arms, but strength wise, you know, so I, I'm not like super duper high on him.
1: That makes sense. I have one like, more. I. I, I w- is there anything else in terms of, like, the way this is kind of shaping up that you feel like we need to talk about? And then there's one other question I want to ask you. Hmm. Well, what's happening with Harry Jones? I like the, I like I the point guards them. a lot. Um,
0: okay. I'll say, I'll say the point guards first. I like the point guards more than I think most people do, even beyond the top level, right? Like, I'm higher on Jawan Evans than a lot of people are. I have him as a top 20 player. I have, um, you know, Frank Mason is like, a top 35 player like top 40 level player. I have Monte Morris is a top 40 player. Um, you know, even guys like I, I'm not higher on Andrew Jones and Edmund Sumner and Kobe Simmons, like those guys. But I think that the three big 12 point guards are going to give this draft like the kick in the ass. It kind of needs to get the backup point guard position uh, stronger in today's NBA, but let's talk about Harry Giles. Um, Harry Giles. No one knows.
1: It's Period. so wild to to have to have a player with that much talent that is just such a big question mark. It's 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 kind of like Scal but a very different case.
0: It it's like Scal except where we don't know how he's going to medically test, we don't know how he is going to uh how he is going to like Grayed out athletically whenever they get him, whenever teams get him in for individual workouts where like they put him through their scheme and everything. Um, We don't know how he is going to be in terms of confidence levels. Every single thing is a question mark right now with Harry Giles, and I feel terrible for the kid.
1: It also makes total sense for him if he's worried at all about how that could shake out to do that work more on a team setting because then it's more private, even if it does come out a little bit. Through leaks or whatever, and there will be. I think there will be some devastating ones on him, just because it's tactically advantageous. Even if a team likes him, to just be like, "Oh, he was so disappointing," or something like that. But well, I mean, the,
0: what's going to happen is is someone's going to get a report of his medical medical stuff, um, just like how we kind of did last year with Denzel Valentine. And you know, trust me, I was trying to report the Denzel Valentine thing, and ultimately decided not to go with it. Um, it's going to come out it, it, like it's just going to happen. And I feel really bad for the kid.
1: So the last question I, I wanted to ask you is a is a basic clarification one. I I would prefer not to get into a lot of the other big picture parts of it. But as a draft expert, will LeVar Ball's LeVar Ballness hurt Lonzo Ball either his draft stock or him as a professional?
0: Oh, we're we're having this conversation on the perfect day too. After uh, after what happened on Fox, um, no, he's not going to hurt Lonzo at all. Um, Lavar is a very complicated figure, obviously for a lot of reasons. He is kind of a kind of a bad dude, I would say, after his comments today, uh, where he wasn't even looking at Christine Lee uh, Leahy, uh on Colin Coward's show, and you know was. Talking all kind of stuff on Jason Whitlock being fat and you know, it was, you know, you can disparage his character all you want, and you probably are in the clear, given the fact that he's also like said publicly, you know, I married my wife so that I could make basketball players. Like I, I think there's a very realistic case that he is a problematic figure in terms of the way that he thinks of women. But the one thing that I will say for him is that He raised a very good kid in Lonzo, and that's ultimately what this comes down to. Lonzo is a very respectful kid that um, just wants to play basketball and is, uh, you know, quiet. He's stoic. He also has a great mentality in terms of wanting to be a killer basketball player on the floor. Um, Not someone that, like, goes clubbing, not someone who is, you know, knock on wood right now, going to develop into a problem or anything. And I think that in an NBA where you often don't see that, you know, there are plenty of NBA NBA players that came from single parent households and everything. I think LeVar deserves some credit for that. Um, and ultimately what it comes down to is how you trust the kid in the draft process. And I think there are plenty of reasons to trust Lonzo as a kid. In the draft process, he is uh, I have yet to find something problematic about him. So ultimately, I think, no, he won't hurt it. But it's not a great look for LeVar to continue to do this stuff.
1: It isn't a great look for him personally, but it's also easy if he wants to to separate that stuff out for Lonzo. If he wants to live his life, even in L.A., even with all of that, you know, with the same broad metropolitan area where his where he grew up, where his family is he can. Being an NBA player is a lot of work. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of that. Your your family and your circle can be as big or as small a part of that as you want them to be. And yeah. all the rest of it is noise. If he, if he wants it to be more than noise, he can make it more than noise, but he doesn't have to. And what strikes me about Lonzo is that LeVar Ball has been this kind of a figure from what I understand for a while. It's just more public now.
0: Or genuinely Lonzo's entire life.
1: <laughs> so it, it's... It's not really that different for him. And he was a significantly positive force at UCLA in a situation that is fairly comparable to an NBA team in terms of going in to a place that already has an established structure that existed before you and will exist long after you with some holdover players and some new ones. And he was huge. He was a a significant force. I think he was a big part of why they were so successful last year. And yeah, I mean he had that big he had that big struggle in the Kentucky game and, and I mean, I would pay good money to see a DeAaron Fox versus Lonzo Ball workout if the Lakers can pull it off, which I don't think they can. But
0: it was genuinely funny to me in that Fox interview when Lavar said, "Yeah, Alonzo won't hide from anyone. He'll go do that workout." <laughs> I- <laughs> I'll be surprised if they get that workout.
1: <laughs> so why? But but so but what a- the point of it is this is all on Lonzo, and it's a great transition into being an adult in terms of, you know, choosing what what is a part of your life. And it will be totally possible for him to make the right decision there, and the evidence that we have is that he will make the right decision. And you know what? Like,
0: I don't even know that it's, like, the right decision to, like— take LaVar out of his life, right? Like he's his dad.
1: No, no, no. It's it's not to take him out of his life. It's just to treat this as, as kind of like a, a side thing and just f- make sure that your job is your job. Yeah, you and know?
0: that's something that Lonzo has done his entire life. And I, I'm not worried about that. Obviously, it's going to be on a much bigger scale now with LaVar getting TV appearances and everything like that. Lonzo is going to be fine. Like when this stuff happened at UCLA, like someone would come in and tell Lonzo, Oh, LaVar said something. Oh, what did he say? He said X and it was ridiculous. And Lonzo would be like, that's dad. Okay. And then like everyone, everyone on UCLA's team, like as far as I know, no one had a problem with Lonzo. Like, no, TJ Leaf was asked this at the combine. He was like, "No, I love Alonzo. He's one of my best friends." And you know, Lavar's fine. Like, he's a good dude. Like I've, every time I met him, he's fine. So like, I don't think it's gonna be a problem with the team. I don't like Lavar wasn't in their like locker room, like being helicopter dad or whatever. Like the end, the parents in the NBA are so separated from the like player in the NBA, right? And LaVar still has like one kid in high school still has, you know, a mother who, you know, Ramona Shelburne got the story this weekend, you know, his wife just had a stroke. So like, he's going to have to be devoting time there, obviously. Like it's, it's not going to be a situation in my opinion where it's going to continue to be this loud throughout Lonzo's entire career. I think that this is a pre-draft thing only. Um, and as Lonzo settles into his career, there are just going to be so many other things going on with what's going on with Big Baller brand and what's going on with their family that it's going to be I think it's going to be fine. And you know you know, honestly, hopefully also like Tina Ball, hopefully Tina Ball gets healthy because I think that should be said as well.
1: Absolutely. And best wishes to her. But the other part of this that I find intriguing and we could call it amusing is the father-son dynamic that matters in the NBA is the one that happens in the same city on the other team. Doc Rivers, Austin Rivers, coach, player, GM, player, that matters because that affects the contracts, that affects playing time, that affects everything else. If Unless Lonzo is going to be in the locker room and stuff after games, the Lakers can completely, like, the Lakers can insulate themselves as well. Yeah, and, and that's,
0: that's what'll happen.
1: Yeah, I assume so. I mean, teams teams are prepared for this sort of thing, even if they don't have to deal with it very often. I mean, the the families are very close to that sort of stuff, but they're not they're not in the mix unless the unless the team kind of wants it to be. Yeah, no. Yeah.
0: And, and Lavar is, you know, I, I have some significant questions about Lavar's personality, certainly, but he is not going to jeopardize Lonzo's career, like. If the Lakers or whoever takes him says this is becoming a problem, it'll be taken care of and it'll be it'll stop being a problem,
1: basically. One more quick thing, because, you know, I love French big men. What do you think about Jonathan John's combine? John John. Um, interesting. He's better. He
0: looked better than any time I'd seen him on tape. I'll say that. Like, I was not like a huge fan of his um, came in a little bit like less long than anticipated nine foot five and a half standing reach like everyone had thought that like and he even told me this after he'd been measured and uh while we were talking in like the media part whereas i think it was just me and him maybe me and one other person um he was like yeah i have like a seven foot nine wingspan and i was like well he just got measured at like seven six so uh definitely a little bit shorter in terms of arm length than we thought two inch shorter standing reach than rudy gobert um a little bit more fluid and skilled offensively at this stage than Rudy was. I don't think they're going to be similar players, though. Um, ultimately, I think what's going to happen is is that he is just such a major project that like it's going to take so much time to get him to where he is a valuable NBA rotation player. Like He's just so skinny. He's going to get beat up, I think, in the NBA um, right now. But if you draft him, you're hoping for three years down the road you have... A valuable rotation player, and then maybe four or five years down the road, you have a guy that can be a legitimate starter or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Project Big Men in general, so I have him as a second round grade, but I wouldn't be surprised if a team takes him in the first.
1: Considering how far away it sounds like he is, I actually like those guys going with the last few picks of the first round because getting that fourth year of team control before you have yeah. to make a decision is massive. But the, the problem with that
0: is, though, I'm sorry to cut you go off. Ahead. Is that the uh, he once He told me that his preference would be to come over immediately instead of waiting.
1: I'm okay with and that, and
0: I think it would be best for his development certainly to be over here. But you also, are essentially, punting on the first, maybe even the second year of his rookie scale contract, right?
1: But that's a look. You can do that. I, I don't have a real problem with that when you consider the everything everything else of it, and remember. So the guy who I think of for this, partially because, you know, it's the team that I spend the most time around, is Festus Ezeli. Mm-hmm. The Warriors benefited so much from drafting Ezeli 30th and Draymond Green in the second round because yes, they that did. gave them an extra year to figure out what Ezeli was. And they knew, granted, they had to pay Draymond earlier, but they knew, they knew what they were getting with him. And so it worked out so much better that way than if it was the reverse, even if they would have gotten another cost-controlled year of Draymond Green. Yeah, no, that's right. That's true. I feel like that's more than enough. So thank you so much for taking the time.
0: I think my body is genuinely weak. Like I have only had uh, my girlfriend, as I think I've said on this podcast before, is from Australia, and her parents were in town and brought back crumpets. So all I had today was an apple and a crumpet, and it's now like one thirty, and my body is slowly but surely shutting down.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate you letting it shut down for this, and I'm sure we'll t- I'm sure we'll talk at some point in the near future.
0: Yeah, we'll probably do something for your post-draft. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Danny.
1: Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read him all over the internet, including the Sporting News, which has his draft boards this year. Very happy about that. And you can follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Vecini. That's S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. Really do enjoy talking with him, one of my favorite guests, and we covered a lot of ground in this one. It was, as we talked about during the show, it's like, you know, we never really know exactly where it's going to go. We have some ideas of of specific things we want to discuss, but I, I thought it was a very worthwhile and fun conversation. So, hope you enjoyed it as well. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, you can leave a review, you can... Subscribe, download every episode. Those are particularly great for Real Jam Radio because the release is sporadic. You can also spread the word however you want—word of mouth or word of internet—and you can also check out our sponsors. That's a great thing to do to support this and any other shows you like. Ziprecruiter.com—you can post jobs for free at the URL ziprecruiter.com/sportsfan. And this is a, a a really fun, busy time. I mean, granted, the games haven't been the most exciting. I'm recording this on early Friday morning the outro to this episode and you know we haven't exactly seen the most exciting conference finals but still a lot on the horizon and if you want to check out my work also you can read my off-season previews there at Sports Illustrated this year still really cool to say have I think about eight or nine of them are up right now have another few that are ready to roll and then going to be working on that over the weekend too so going to have those kind of keep keep going on full force and then going to have some other stuff as well I've I get inspired all the time, and it's just when I have the time to write. So I want to do something on designated veteran extensions. And then, of course, you can check out Dunked On, which I do with Nate Duncan. And we actually just had our first Patreon subscriber-only mailbag. So we did over an hour of just questions that this that subscriber sent us and you can get that patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. You can check that out. We have other exclusive content too, but I think that's the big thing that people want our exclusive podcast. So we, we, we dropped one of those today it was fun to do that. And so I'm going to have a new real Jam radio next week, depending on the timing of these series, it might actually be an NBA finals preview. It really is going to depend on how all this works out Might do some team specific stuff based on the lottery, but I also might want to wait a little bit, especially because some of the teams like the Celtics, just there's a lot going on. So we'll have to figure all that out, but lots of time to do so. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue NBA at gmail.com, at Danny LaRue on Twitter. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. No promises that I'll respond, but I try. And that's enough for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
0: Thunderstruck. Adjective. Shocked and amazed by the power of carnival fun. It's what happens when you ride Bolt, the world's first sea coaster. When you island hop till you drop. Thunderstruck! When you book four massages back to back. Back to back. Get thunderstruck starting at 289. Carnival. Choose fun. Cruises are in U.S. dollars per person, double occupancy. Taxes, fees, and port expenses. Additional restrictions apply. Full details on Carnival.com. Ships, Registry Bahamas, Panama.
1: You want to go? Yes. Go travel, go explore, go find a new city, go reconnect with friends, go have fun. That's why we
0: created OnGo, the trusted rapid COVID-19 self-test. OnGo gives you accurate COVID test results and peace of mind in just minutes. So anywhere you go, you know. You'll know if you're COVID-19 free, and you'll know you're protecting loved ones. OnGo is readily available at letsongo.com, Amazon, Walgreens, or Walmart.com. Use promo code ONGO15 for 15% off at letsongo.com today.